0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.
2: Hello everyone, welcome back to the History Hit Warfare podcast. I'm your host James Rogers and it was 81 years ago this week that Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom following the resignation of Neville Chamberlain and his calamitous handling of the Norway campaign. On that very same week, Adolf Hitler launched a monumental assault on Western Europe. It's got to be one of the toughest first weeks in office for a prime minister in history. We're marking this historic event with a podcast that I've dug out from the Dan Snow's history hit archive. And this is where he visited Churchill's biographer, Andrew Roberts, to look at some of the previously unseen historical material that shed light on this great man.
3: You've written so many books about Churchill, everyone's written so many books about Churchill, do you think there's still more we can say about this man?
0: Fortunately, actually, yes, there is. Since the last major biography of him, there have been 41 sets of papers that have been deposited at the Churchill archives in Cambridge, including really important things like his daughter's 1940 diary, Mary Soames's diary from 1940, which I think was wonderful. Um we've the the Queen has allowed me to be the first Churchill biographer to read her father's diaries and he um, had lunch with Churchill every Tuesday of the war and they talked completely openly the King trusted uh, Churchill implicitly he knew that he was one of the only people um, in public life who didn't want his job <laughs> he was a um, he trusted him with the ultra-secret, for example, and so um, so he was uh, was very open to him, and luckily the king then went and wrote that day, wrote down what Churchill had said, so there are new stories, new jokes, new anecdotes. There have been 45 speeches of Churchill's that um, have been discovered by researchers that aren't in the collected volumes um, that were brought together by Robert Rhodes James, so there too I've been able to quote from speeches of Churchill that nobody uh, had um, had quoted from in uh, any previous biography. And we've also got the Maisky Diaries, the diaries of Ivan Maisky, who was the Soviet ambassador to London from 1932 to 1943. And um, And he saw a lot of Churchill, especially in the key moments of the war in 1940 and 41. And, uh, and wrote down everything Churchill said as well. So all in all, um, I don't think that necessarily uh, it's going to be the case in ten years' time, for example, because these are key, places, key uh, areas and sources which have now slipped into place. But um, there is something new to say about Churchill on pretty much every page of my book.
3: What? Oh. What do you what do what are you proudest of in terms of in terms of changing our our perception of of, of Churchill? I mean, what do you think? What, what does this biography really? What do these all these new sources really add?
0: What they add really is to um, go back to what an extraordinary emotional man he was. Um, one thinks of him as uh, as being probably more emotional than any of the other. Contemporary prime, prime ministers, or indeed politicians of the day, he was driven by his emotions. He burst into tears 50 times during the war. Now, imagine today if uh, Mrs. May were to burst into tears, she has every right to, I hasten to add, but if, if she burst into tears in the House of Commons while making a speech, it would be something that would uh, be rather sort of unsettling to everybody. Churchill was a romantic uh, sort of 18th century figure trapped in a Victorian aristocrat's um, body. Uh, so um, so I, I try to concentrate on that aspect of him. Um, another thing that the sources uh, bring out is quite how frustrated and irritated he was. Um, in the early parts of the Second World War about the Americans. This is something, of course, that he couldn't say in public, but which um, you get from the King's diaries in particular, very strongly, that he couldn't believe that the Americans were taking so long to get into the war. And ultimately, of course, it took Hitler to uh, declare war on America rather than uh, the other way round. So, um, so that's a very powerful thing. Really, anything that's new about Churchill is in itself an exciting thing. And as I say, there's a lot.
3: Does it- Is I mean, to what the the myth of Churchill is so powerful, and are we are we seeing new uh, 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 is what we're now seeing uh, allowing us to take a a sort of a more objective view? I mean, for example, on his leadership throughout the war, does the does the summer this is extraordinary apotheosis in the summer of 1940 blind us to mistakes or, or other things, le- earlier or later in the war? For
0: I don't think it does. I think, um, it, I mean, of course he made mistakes. He made mistakes, terrible mistakes, all the way through his life. Um, but he learnt from them. As he said, I should have made nothing if I had not made mistakes. Uh, he learnt from the First World War, he learnt not to um, overbear the chiefs of staff. He never once overruled them in the whole of the Second World War. Um, he learnt uh, not necessarily to trust to experts, um, that was partly as a result of the fact that the gold standard which he went back onto in 1925 was a disaster, even though every expert had said, uh, said that he should do it. Um, he had this sense of um, a redemptive power really, of, um, of being able to learn from his mistakes. Now that's not to say he didn't continue to make mistakes in the Second World War, but they're far, far um, less important. It strikes me it was wrong to have uh, to have stood up for Greece and to have sent an army to Greece in 1941 because, of course, it had to um, evacuate a couple of months later. But nonetheless, he had um, very strong political reasons for doing it, and he and he argued those through in the House of Commons. Historians now um, agree that uh, that he shouldn't have done it, but he did it as a way. Uh, as he himself said, "I will make uh, mistakes but but in um, in front of the enemy. He always uh, said that his own generals would be let off, and admirals would be let off if the mistakes they made were attacking ones, and with Churchill, they almost always were
3: that 's why he never gave Percival in uh, Singapore
0: that's right, whereas he did let off um, Admiral Cunningham over the uh, Dakar uh, business yeah.
3: Uh- why, with the Second World War, and Churchill? Every time I go anywhere in this country and walk into any pub or any museum, they say this is Winston Churchill's favourites. By Winston Churchill, particularly wanted this to happen, he particularly wanted that to happen. You don't hear that about David Lloyd George in the First World War. I mean, di- did Churchill wield an unprecedented degree of influence and power over the over the British war effort, or is it has it just become a sort of? His leadership has become a, a convenient sort of catch-all for everything that was going on.
0: Well, he made himself Minister of Defence, of course. This was the first thing he did when he became Prime Minister. So, uh, and he reorganised the Chiefs of Staff Committee so that it uh, only met with the um, operations uh, committee of the cabinet um, with politicians. So uh, it was a, uh, a reorganisation of Whitehall to give him power. But but he was by no means a dictator of, of Britain during the Second World War. I mean, he, he couldn't get an operation past the chiefs of staff. He had to agree with them that uh, it needed to be undertaken. Um, you, the reason you don't get it in earlier wars, although you almost do a bit with Pitt the younger in the Napoleonic Wars, um, is because in most of the wars, the generals uh, have been allowed far too much power. We saw that in the First World War. The struggles between uh, Lloyd George and uh, Haig and, uh, and Robertson and the rest of them were titanic struggles, but ultimately it was the soldiers who, who won. Uh, that's not the case in the Second World War.
2: heard of the teenage werewolf prosecuted in 1603? Did you know that the
0: 17th century British government relied heavily on female spies? And do you want to know about chin-chucking and thigh sex? (laughs) Of course you do. I'm Susanna
2: Lipscomb, and my new podcast, Not Just the Tudors, is a deep dive into what I like to think of as the long 16th century. We'll be talking about everything from Aztecs to witches, Velazquez
0: to Shakespeare, Mughal India to the Mayflower. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe to not just the Tudors from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts.
3: When in Churchill's um, Churchill's later life, what did he did he, did he? did he? I mean, he was obviously very worried about. He promised that he would not preside over the... the Liquidation of the British
0: Empire. Liquidation of the British Empire,
3: which is sort of what happened on his watch,
0: isn't it? No, it's not. He didn't give away any part of the British Empire in the second um, Indian Summer Premiership. Uh, He was under pressure to, but he very much knew that that was going to happen. Um, But India had been given away by the Labour government, by the Attlee government in the immediate post-war period and between 51 and 55 he didn't give away any part of the uh, of the Empire but um, it all it all went away fairly swiftly after that especially of course after the Suez uh, debacle.
3: But but, so, but I guess my point is that did he uh, later in life did he feel that confronting and defeating Hitler was his greatest was was an achievement worthy of, of, of enormous you know he, he looked back with enormous happiness and that or did he feel strategically that the Britain that he, he had left was actually diminished from from the Britain that he had, had arrived into as a politician. Yes,
0: absolutely the latter. He, um, he thought he had been a failure as a politician because of the way that the empire was, uh, um, was disintegrating. And uh, because he had gone into politics, as he wrote to his mother in 1896, in order to... Um, uh, promote the interests of the British Empire in uh, abroad and, and obviously social reform at home. And he did do an enormous amount of social reform at home, but as far as the foreign policy was concerned, he considered himself to have been a failure. And he never patted himself back, uh, on the back particularly, not in speeches, not openly, about um, the Second World War. Of course, he wrote his six-volume history of the Second World War in which he was the central figure, um, and um, you know, intentionally so. But he actually himself, and he told his private secretaries this uh, in the um, post-war period, he thought that his career had been a failure because the, uh, the empire that he loved and that he had dedicated his life to was collapsing.
3: What hope for the rest of us if Winston Churchill died feeling like a failure?
0: <laughs> I know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, we we, uh, we all appreciate that he was one of the greatest men in history, but yet he himself didn't.
3: Well, that's interesting. So uh, on what grounds um, do we say that he's one of the greatest men in history? Is, is it just this unique con- identification and... and- and uh, and confrontation with Adolf Hitler and and, and his evil brand of uh, of Nazism, or is it about his extraordinary rena- the renaissance characteristics? Of
0: the name? It's certainly certainly the latter. The great thing about Winston Churchill is that he is so much more than just 1940 and 41. He's the man who creates the welfare state. He's the man who has um, who's an unbelievable believer in history. Uh, you know he. Um, reads history, he writes history, uh, and then he makes history. He is somebody who um, has advanced the English language to wonderful sublime uh, levels. He's somebody who reminds us that, that just sheer Animal courage, but actually moral as well as physical courage, um, is uh, is a good thing in a in a politician, in a statesman. Uh, he's somebody who has so much more to give than just the victories of 1940 and, uh, or at least the survival, not so much the victories even of 1940 and 41. And then you also, of course, have to look at. Uh, all of the work that he did with the Chiefs of Staff in creating British grand strategy for 1942, 43, 44, and and the victory in 1945. You know, this is not just a man who made great speeches in the House of Commons on um, in a 12-month period by any means.
3: We've, we, we've seen more recently Indian historians, other historians, reminding us of the, hi, hi, Churchill's involvement in things that now appear to be. Uh, you know, far less attractive. Mm. So imperialism, and all that sort of stuff. Do you, you, in the past, have written books celebrating Napoleon, celebrating Churchill un- unashamedly? What, and yet, somebody demonstrating Churchill's views towards race or towards empire now would be would be unacceptable
0: in modern exactly political discourse. Yeah.
3: So how do you how does So how does that work?
0: More than unacceptable, obscene. I mean, it would be absurd and obscene to believe that uh, white people were biologically superior to non-white people. But that is what the Darwinists took, or at least the neo-Darwinists took, to be a scientific fact back in those days, however absurd that might be today. Uh, people like Huxley believed that um, you, could, you could extend Darwinist principles to believe that one particular race of humans was superior to the other.
3: So, so for example, Napoleon, Churchill, these great... What is their greatness today? How should, why should we think of them as great?
0: Well, We see them as great, correctly, because of their extraordinary achievements. Napoleon dragged France into the uh, 19th century. He uh, brought about a a true transformation of French society. Churchill, um, as well, of course, as having won the Second World War, also did things that um, transformed British society for the better. And so um, that's, I think, what you're looking for in a, in a truly great person, somebody who has left granite-like alterations for the better in their own uh, cultures and worlds.
3: Do you, think, uh, do you think in 100 years' time we will still... Churchill's, Churchill's reputation will endure?
0: I think Churchill's reputation will be higher in 100 years' time than it is now because I think people will have um, got over the identity politics problems that they have with him. I don't think that uh, that's something that's going to last for another hundred years, frankly, um, I think that people are going to be able to see everybody in their historical context um, it 's a bit like criticizing Oliver Cromwell for not supporting socialized medicine no of course he didn 't You have to see people in their own uh, in their own um, uh, historical context, or they are nothing so I think if anything the um, the capacity uh, of Churchill, the sort of sheer, um, as you mentioned, Renaissance figure that he was, will be something which will be celebrated by Britons for um, many hundreds of years.
3: What is next What is next for Andrew Roberts, have you finished writing about Churchill, where do you go after Churchill?
0: That's the trouble, yes exactly. I do sometimes feel that if I'm run over by a bus this afternoon it's not going to matter terribly much because I'll have done my, uh, my, uh, my best work. Um, but historians, um, as you'll know, uh, tend to get better as they get older and so um, when you look actually at some of the historians who are writing at the moment who are in their 70s and 80s uh, and, and turning out some of the best stuff they've ever written. Um, actually Actually, uh, it's rather wonderful being in a um, profession which you can't retire from.
3: You say getting hit by a bus. We should the, the famous Churchill instant in New York. All of this, may, you would have had to find a completely different thing to write about if it had been for that.
0: And actually, the um, the scar that was left when he was hit uh, by, say, a, yes, so when was by a by a car in December 1932 in uh, in uh, Fifth Avenue in New York. Um, when and very nearly killed i mean of all the times that he nearly died that was in the top three Um, and um, and actually you can see if you look at the front page of my book you can see this vivid scar that goes right the way up the center of his forehead it's a it's a very powerful thing and it used to go go red during arguments with the chiefs of staff when um, general brooke would be sitting looking across the green table down in the cabinet war rooms, breaking pencils in half, um, Churchill's scar would go a vivid red colour.
3: And, sh- and bizarrely, Hitler was also hit by a car within months of that happening. Almost two of the extraordinary figures of the 20th century almost both killed in automobile accidents. Um, but speaking of just on Allenbrook, you mentioned that. Recently, people have said that Allenbrook's diary is evidence that Churchill was sort of deranged and 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 mentally declining during the war and actually was more of a hindrance than anything. I mean obviously you, you completely disagree with
0: that. I exactly. completely disagree with that, no absolutely. <laughs> and actually no policy, no st- strategy could have been adopted had it not been for the extraordinary creative tension between Churchill and uh, the Chief of the Imperial General Staff, Lord Allenbrook. And uh, the the struggles between these two men are titanic. And when... Uh, Alan Brooke attacks Churchill in his diary, which he very often does, uh, he, he's venting, he's letting off steam after a long day of, of struggle with uh, Churchill. But think about what that struggle actually ultimately created. It created the uh, the Africa strategy, the Mediterranean strategy, the success at D-Day, uh, you know, crossing the Rhine, these great um, achievements, bringing the Americans into the overall British strategy. I mean, things that uh, are world-shattering and world-changing and um, and that those came as a result of this creative tension but nobody ever for a moment denies that there was a lot of tension involved
3: they're the lennon and mccartney of, of
0: they were British. indeed <laughs> they were and look what they created ultimately
3: and roberts thank you very much the book is called
0: the book is called churchill walking with destiny good luck with it thanks so much